This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Africa News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... The Mo Ibrahim report is a highly respected analysis that's put out, and it's validating the trends of the democratic backsliding that we've seen in Africa over the last number of years. That's Joseph Siegel, Director of Research at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies, discussing findings about the Mo Ibrahim Foundation. Details coming up also. Malawi has suspended the head of its anti-corruption bureau, Marta Chizuma. And Zimbabwe wants to mechanize its agricultural production with controversial country, Belarus. We'll have these stories and more ahead on African News Tonight. But first, our top story. Pope Francis was received with wild enthusiasm by tens of thousands of young people in the Democratic Republic of Congo today for a rally. Over 65,000 people filled Kinshasa's Martyr Stadium, cheering, chanting, and dancing. Many of them said they were thrilled to have a pope after nearly four decades. Pope John Paul II visited in 1985. There was joyous music as the crowd waited for the Pope's arrival. Rosalie Buenda says she is very moved to have the Pope in the country after 38 years. She says her joy is immense. Mame Yan Zuambi, who also teaches the faith, says... They are absolutely delighted. She goes on to say everything has to change because he came to bring the light of light in our country, the Congo. We will have the peace of Christ in our hearts and in the whole world. Francis arrived in Kinshasa on Tuesday, the first stop on his trip to the continent. He goes to South Sudan on Friday. In his speech today, the Pope urged young people in the Democratic Republic of Congo to build a future without the ethnic rivalry, corruption, and distrust that have caused many conflicts in Africa, including in the Eastern DRC, and he told them they were central to the Church. To say He says they are indispensable and responsible for their church and their country. They are part of a greater history, he tells them, one that calls on them to take an active role as a builder of communion, a champion of fraternity, an indomitable dreamer of a more united world. He urged them to withstand the temptations of corruption and got a resounding response. Speaking through a translator, he shouts, a corrupt person, are they honest or are they dishonest, I ask you. And the crowd responds with a loud no. Then he shouts, no to corruption, all say it, no to corruption. The response is even louder. Tomorrow, Pope Francis meets with bishops from around the country before flying to Juba, where he is expected to arrive mid-afternoon. 
Reuters news service reports that an Israeli delegation has arrived in Sudan to discuss normalizing bilateral ties. Khartoum agreed to take steps to formalize ties with Israel as part of a deal in 2020 brokered by former U.S. President Donald Trump's administration for Israel to also normalize relations with the United Emirates, Bahrain, and Morocco. This week, Israel announced it will open an embassy in Chad. The announcement came during a two-day trip to the country by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who is working to improve ties with African and Muslim countries. Israel's Foreign Minister Eli Cohen, who visited Sudan in 2021, said he would convene a news conference this evening. Sudan's military government is seen as having led the move to establish ties, but civilian groups say any deal has to be ratified by a transitional parliament that will lead to civilian elections. Zimbabwe's embassy says it has concrete plans to repatriate thousands of its citizens whose exemption permits, which allow them to live and work in South Africa, will be terminated on June the 30th. The process will affect close to 180,000 Zimbabweans who have been given a year and a half to shift to other permits. But the embassy says many do not qualify and chose to go home instead. To Sokumano reports from Pretoria. Addressing the media at the embassy in Pretoria today, Zimbabwean ambassador to South Africa David Hamadziribi said his government is ready to receive those who chose to return home. He said an online registration program has taken effect, allowing those choosing to return home to enter their details, including any assistance they need. This will be followed by a physical registration process that will be rolled out across all South African provinces. Some zip holders have decided they want to go back to Zimbabwe and they need assistance. And they are the ones who we are addressing to say if you do need some assistance, the government of Zimbabwe is giving you the opportunity to be able to take advantage of that assistance and facilitation that we can give. The ambassador conceded that children of the returnees will face challenges as the move will happen in the middle of the school year. Hamadiribi said the embassy will offer transportation in special cases, along with help in clearing goods at the border and placing children in Zimbabwean schools. Some Zimbabweans in South Africa have welcomed the move. Lizwe Kwebu, who has lived in South Africa for close to two decades, says the program will provide some dignity to the returnees. And I actually want to encourage our people to take advantage of the registration exercise so that there is that smooth uh, transition from this other country to the other country. Then I want to also say I'm happy about the announcement about the school kids who are going to school. Butolezwe Nyati, leader of Boots, an organization advocating for a decent return of the affected Zimbabweans, told VOA that his organization also welcomes the move. Uh, we are so happy that um, the embassy or the government of Zimbabwe is actually um, coming on board and uh, uh, saying that they are willing uh, to, want to be repatriated because that is what we, we want to see whereby people will be repatriated with their dignity being intact instead of them being deported. However, another Zimbabwean, Jabunyati, told VOA that although he welcomes the move, 
it would be dangerous to send thousands of Zimbabweans back home before fixing the conditions that led them to leave the country. But there are issues where the source of the problem could be political violence or could be economic meltdown. Those issues are not addressed. We are not sure if all Zimbabweans would love to, to go back into that uh, situation which, which drove them out of the country in the first place. Meanwhile, a court challenge to the termination of the permits will be heard in April. Legal experts say the court could quash the decision, extend the permit termination deadline, or simply endorse it. Tusokumalo for VOA News, Johannesburg. South African mining company Certi Resources says it is investing in wind power to help get itself out of the national power grid, which is plagued by daily power cuts. Certi, a top thermal coal supplier to the state power utility ESCOM, will build a 155-megawatt wind farm over the next two years. Reuters says the turbines would supply 75% of the power required by coal mines in Mpumalanga, the country's coal Heartland. The news service says it raises the prospect that mines powered by wind would produce coal for ESCOM's failing power plants. Certi Resources says the wind farm should be able to feed power to the national grid by 2025. Last month, another coal and fuel producer, Sasol, announced three similar deals to produce 229 megawatts of power from wind farms. Africa's intelligence and security services are meeting in Botswana's capital to discuss how to reduce conflict on the continent in an effort to boost food security. More than 500 delegates are attending the summit held under the theme Food Security, Conflict and Peace in Africa from Habrone, Botswana. Reporter Mokandisi Dube has the details. The Committee of Intelligence and Security Services of Africa, CISA meeting, is expected to come up with strategies to counter emerging security threats which hinder food production, including terrorism, poaching, corruption, drug trafficking and smuggling. Opening the summit today, Botswana President Mukwezi Masisi said some challenges facing Africa arise from food insecurity. Accordingly, given your mandate to protect life and to build the sustainability and tranquility within, between and among nations, the theme of food security, conflict and peace in Africa that has been chosen for this 18th session of the CISA conference is very relevant because some conflicts in Africa emanate from food insecurity. Masisi says the war in Ukraine has made the food situation worse with Africa hard hit. This situation of food insecurity has been exacerbated by the ongoing Russia-Ukraine Conference. As these two countries are the main producers of staple cereal, fertilizers, and gas. Incoming CISA chairperson Peter Mahosi says the intelligence organization must ensure more advanced surveillance amid increased security threats. Our job is to look at the challenges that we have in Africa, come up with solutions or recommendations to our leaders in Africa. We look at the challenges broadly. There will be the political, there will be the military, 
there will be socioeconomic, there will be financial, all those, we look at them as those elements of national power for each and every country. Caesar Executive Secretary Zainab Ali Kotoko spells out the organization's core mandate. Coordinate and provide strategic intelligence on all issues, threats facing the continent. Also, the Secretariat, which is the technical arm of the committee itself, headquarters in Addis Ababa, briefs on a regular basis the Peace and Security Council of the African Union on major threats facing the continent. The meeting, which ends Friday, comes as the continent grapples with terrorism and civil strife in hotspots such as the Horn of Africa, West Africa and Southern Africa. For VOA, this is Mkondisi Dube in Khaburoni, Botswana. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Please note, we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There, you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. The Mo Ibrahim Foundation has issued a new report on African governance that says much of Africa has become less safe and democratic over the last decade. It found that government violence against civilians and political unrest increased with governments using restrictions to clamp down on dissent. The report also notes democratic backsliding, citing a surge in military coups and armed conflicts. Joseph Siegel, director of research at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies, discussed these findings on the Russian Wagner Group's backing of some African coup leaders with VOA senior analyst Mohammed al-Shanawi. The Mo Ibrahim report is a highly respected analysis that's put out, and it's validating the trends of democratic backsliding that we've seen in Africa over the last number of years. Now, most obvious are the coups, which Africa thought it had left behind you know, over the previous two decades, where we had seen a dramatic decline in the number of military interventions in government. But this reflects a, a reversal where we're seeing the increased politicization of militaries in more governments, even when there aren't coups. Uh, we're also seeing an increase in the number of term limit evasions on the continent. There have been 13 leaders who have evaded term limits since 2015. And so there's a, a broader disregard for the rule of law that is undermining these uh, democratic processes. I think perhaps what's most important from the Mo Ibrahim report is the link between declining democratic checks and balances and increased instability. Now, there are 16 countries in Africa that are now facing conflict. That's a doubling of the past decade. Three quarters of those countries in conflict are authoritarian leaning. So it shows the close link between autocracy and instability in Africa. The report's authors also found overall security problems pervasive as government violence against civilians and political unrest increased across Africa since the COVID-19 pandemic began, with governments using restrictions to clamp down on dissent. How do you explain this regression? Well, it's a combination of factors. The decline of democracy means the governments in power are less legitimate. And so they are having to use more 
repression to maintain their hold on power. This dovetails with the in- increased role of militaries in government and you know militaries who are less beholden to the rule of law and respecting human rights. So the timing of the democratic backsliding and increased repression go hand in hand. I think it's also important to recognize that the increased violence against civilians occurred when we saw a period of international distraction because of the pandemic. And over time, different authoritarian leading governments realized that they had more latitude to bend the rules and realized that there wasn't necessarily going to be a strong response from the regional uh, economic and, and political communities and international democratic community who were facing their own crises. About Russian backing uh, authoritarian governments, especially after uh, military coups. The role of external authoritarian actors like Russia and China in uh, bolstering authoritarian regimes has also contributed to this uh, democratic backsliding and, and the increased repression. Clearly, Russia has seen the opportunity to intervene in African countries where you have authoritarian-leaning governments who are isolated domestically, and therefore Russia has been able to enhance its influence by coming in and propping up these regimes, often military juntas, but other authoritarian governments, and in the process contributing to a more repressive environment, a more unstable environment, while enhancing Russian influence. That was Joseph Siegel, Director of Research at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies, speaking with VOA Senior Analyst Mohamed El-Shenawi. Zimbabwe's lawmakers on Wednesday passed a law regulating non-governmental organizations which they say aims to curb terrorist financing and money laundering. But critics say the bill suppresses political activity and amounts to a crackdown on opposition supporters ahead of of this year's elections. It's signed into law. If signed into law, it could also put international development funding at risk, as Columbus Mavunga reports from Harare, Zimbabwe. Does the sound of lawmakers in the ruling ZANPF party celebrating after the private voluntary organization's amendment bill passed in Zimbabwe Senate late Wednesday. The bill, which still awaits President Emerson Munangagwa's signature, makes it criminal offense for NGOs to support or oppose political parties or candidates in any election. Supporters say the bill is designed to curb financing for terrorism and money laundering in Zimbabwe. Ziambe Ziambe, Zimbabwe's justice minister, told parliament after the bill passed that law-abiding NGOs have nothing to fear. All we are saying is if you come and you say you are going to, uh, to assist in court, in water sanitation, you do not have any business getting into political lobby. So we believe that this is a progressive a piece of legislation we do we don't need NGOs. We don't need them. They create confusion. We end up fighting among ourselves. But by and large this is a very good piece of legislation. We can always improve it if we feel that there are areas that we are deficient. But opposition lawmakers and human rights activists do not see it that way. 
Musa Kika, a human rights lawyer who heads the Zimbabwe Human Rights NGO Forum, says the law infringes on Zimbabweans' basic rights. Our position is that this law is unconstitutional. It violates freedom of association. It violates the rights of citizens to organize and to self-organize in spaces outside uh, the state. So that's our position, that this law cannot and will not stand constitutional scrutiny by any independent and competent court. Kika said the process to enact the bill had been driven by the president's office and that parliament ignored Zimbabwe's objections during public hearings on the proposed legislation. And the consequences for our country are going to be dire from a social protection point of view, from a diminished accountability point of view, even economic fortunes, given that development support in Zimbabwe was contributing annually almost a billion US dollars. And we are going to see um, a reduction, significant reduction in those that find Zimbabwe being a safe space for them to bring their development support. He said the NGOs in Zimbabwe are now at the mercy of the government. During the debate in parliament, a member of the opposition, Morgan Comich, said the new law would result in only the government's voice being heard. In a democracy, there should be different voices. People should air their views. They should converge and discuss and plan their things. In the past 42 years, Zimbabwe haven't seen an organization which is a threat to the government. Please uh, do not enact this uh, law, Honorable Minister. Meanwhile, a top local official of the U.S. Agents for International Development, or USAID, one of Zimbabwe's major financiers, says the bill could have major consequences. The acting director of USAID, Priscilla Sampil, told a local newspaper this week that the agent's program with the local NGOs will be severely affected if President Mnangagwa signs the bill into law. USAID provided $4.5 billion in support to Zimbabwe since 1980 for water and sanitation, HIV and AIDS, and other health-related issues. The agents declined to comment to VOA for this story. Columbus Mavungam for VOA News, Arare, Zimbabwe. Around the clock, the Voice of America keeps you in touch with the latest news. Tune in at the top of every hour, every day of the week for the five-minute VOA newscast. We bring you reports from our correspondents and interviews with newsmakers from across the world. Give us five minutes and we'll give you the world. VOA, your trusted source for news and information. Kenyan police have arrested six teachers over a viral video showing primary school children simulating sex as a punishment. The French news agency AFP says the footage shows four boys in school uniform imitating sex acts under a tree in a school compound as teachers watched. It says the 29-second clip was recorded in the rural town of Niamachi, 300 kilometers from Nairobi. 
The wire service says six teachers, five women and a man, have been arrested and would face disciplinary action if found guilty. In Kenya, anyone found guilty of compelling another to engage in an indecent act faces a jail term of no less than five years. And with that, we wrap up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Yehayas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest development on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Adrias Rigas, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.